miss the sun when it starts to snow Only know you love her when you let her go Only know you've been high when you're feeling low Only hate the road when you're missing home Only know you love her when you let her go And you let her go And so, uh, Jesus, we let you go. But we thank you that you did not let us go. That you came to seek to save the lost, Apolumi, the, the destroyed, the perished, so that even if we sink three miles down into the depths of the sea, you'll find us. Even if we hide in the depths of our own soul, you'll find us. And so now, Lord God, I pray that you would find us. That, Lord God, you would speak your word, your word, Jesus, into our hearts this morning and that we would believe. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, um, this morning we're socially distant, but we're going to have communion. So uh, if you haven't already, go grab like a Triscuit or a biscuit or some kind of thing, you know, that you can break here in a little bit and a bit of juice or wine. If you don't have that, I, I think, you know, water would be okay. We'll make it holy. You don't need a, a certified holy man there to have communion. Jesus just said it to all of us before anybody was ordained. He said, do this in memory of me. So we'll celebrate uh, communion together here in um, a little bit. But this is a, this is a strange Easter. Um, you know, normally on Easter, uh, well, on Easter the room is packed and we have a party a couple years ago, I came as John, uh, you know, outcast, outcast on the island of Patmos. And I, I threw live fish, and Tim Reinders caught one over the stairwell back there, and everybody erupted and enjoy. It was just, it was incredible. Last year, I came as King uh, David, and I brought a, remember, a bucket of foreskins that smelled like onion rings and, and ketchup, and we had a party. But this year, that um, just didn't seem to fit. This year, the, the world is locked down in fear and preoccupied with, with death. We've heard rumors about the resurrection and the life, but to be honest, it kind of seems like an idle tale. So this year, I'd like to skip the fish and the onion rings and the party hats and just speak into the issues at hand, this pandemic, this tribulation. My generation, at least in America, has never really experienced anything like this, so ominous, so outside of our control. 100 to 240,000 predicted to die last week. In, in just the United States, provided we practice social distancing. That is a lot of death and distancing. I can't speak for you, but being a human being myself and having watched an awful lot of news uh, lately, 
I think most of us have had some rather surprising realizations. Realization number one, uh, we're all gonna die. And we seem to have imagined that, that we wouldn't. Now, hear me well, I believe that we should wash our hands and wear face masks and practice social distancing, but are you aware that three million people about die every year in the United States of America already? About 480,000 from smoking, according to the CDC. According to our former Surgeon General, loneliness is associated with a reduction in lifespan equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness, and we're hoping that social distancing will save us. That's, that's ironic. And like I said, I think we should all be practicing social distancing. It just seems to me that we have a habit of denying the obvious. We're all gonna die. I mean that in a big way, and of course a million little ways. No matter what, we're all losing control of life. Or whatever we imagine life uh, to be. If we're not losing control of our breath, we're losing control of, well, retirement plans and our income, our sleep. Uh, death is a loss of control, isn't it? Or is it? That's what we talked about a, a few weeks ago. Well, if 100,000, if 100,000 die of... Uh, of the coronavirus, if 100,000 die of the coronavirus this year, that means that your chances of dying this year over last year increases by about 3%. But fear, fear has increased by what? Like maybe 10 times? Uh, that's 1,000%. Uh, like we preached a few weeks ago, the snake whispered, surely you won't die, and then the snake keeps us, according to scripture, in lifelong bondage through the fear of death. Surprising realization number one, we're all gonna die. Surprising realization number two, well we are all like one body. I don't know if that's hit you, but that's, that's hit me. I remember watching the news at the end of January, learning that in China they're building a hospital in 10 days for all the coronavirus patients. That's, that's a little worrisome, but then I thought, well yeah, but that's in China. Well, I've learned that what happens to an old man in Wuhan, China, also happens to me. And what happens to me also happens to the people around me. I figure that the odds of Peter Hyatt getting killed skyrocket to something like a thousand percent every time I choose to go skiing. And yet those are odds that I gladly take, but if there's a small chance that what I do could kill my, my elderly in-laws, my mother and father-in-law in their 80s who I dear, dearly love, well then it would just be heartless of me not to practice social distancing. I mean, it's a surprising realization, but what happens to the kid who stalks the bananas at the supermarket also happens to Bill Gates who eats those bananas. 
What happens to an old man in Wuhan, China, also happens to me in Denver, terrorists in Indonesia, nuns in De Detroit, male and female, gay and straight, Republicans and Democrats. That's the way it is. A surprising realization, that's the way it's always been. Bill Gates has a net worth of almost $100 billion, or at least he did a few weeks ago. But you know, if he'd grown up alone on an island, he wouldn't even have a, a, a coconut. He'd be dead. He needs kids stalking bananas that will buy his computers. And he wouldn't have even invented computers if he hadn't learned to count. It's based on this binary system or whatever, you know. And he probably learned to count from, from who? A kindergarten teacher that makes what? A few thousand dollars a year. No doubt Bill Gates ought to eat the fruit of his ingenuity and labor, but did he create his own mind? Or his own desire to, to, to create, to, to work, and, and no doubt people who refuse to work ought to feel some hunger, and no doubt Bill Gates has given more money than any person perhaps who's ever lived, but even his wife says it's unfair. So what's fair? Some people tend to say that each person should decide, and this should be enforced with regulations. Other people say a centralized government should decide, and, and that should be enforced with regulations. In a body, they both decide. Each member and the head decide in, in freedom. A body is a, a communion of, of wills, a symphony of wills, decisions, uh, choices, a, a symphony of wills that we call life. When they, the body parts and the head, disagree, the body gets sick and even begins to attack itself and it dies. A virus is a lie. It's a lie introduced into the RNA replicating system of a cell and that lie confuses the body and even makes the body attack its, itself. Well, it seems as if all of humanity, ha-adam, the Adam, to use biblical terminology, all, all of humanity is one body. And so we will weep together because no matter how hard I try to deny it, what I do to others I somehow do to me. Surprising realization number one, we're gonna die. Surprising realization number two, we're like a body. And surprising realization number three, we don't know who to blame. We think justice is finding someone to blame and then making them pay. At least, you know, with 9-11, we found someone to blame and we made them pay. Of course, we actually made the wrong people pay which often seems to be the case with human judgment. It's like we have a virus that's infected our judgment, so placing blame only spreads the disease. Three surprising realizations, a lot of social distancing, and now Easter. John 20, verse 19. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so this is Easter Sunday, Peter and uh, John, you remember, had been to the tomb but, but, and, and saw that the tomb was empty, but none of the disciples have yet seen Jesus. Uh, the women said that they saw, the women, but you know how they are. Uh, to the disciples, it seemed to be an idle tale, says Luke. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked so nobody could get in, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They're social distancing for fear. They're afraid that what happened to Jesus will happen to them. And their fears are not at all unfounded. For fear of the Jews, that the Jews would, would kill them, for fear of the Jews, and they are Jews. They're afraid of their own flesh and blood, their, their own body, and they don't know who to blame. I mean, they could blame Judas, they could blame him. They had already all blamed Jesus, but they had all fallen away, just like Jesus said they would. And now they're all locked down and feared, preoccupied with death, and they're practicing social distancing. And remember, I'm not saying that there's not a time for social distancing. In fact, most of the Bible is the history of social distancing. It's what we call the Old Testament. Let's review real quickly. In the beginning, humanity, Ha-Adam, the Adam, lives with God, his helper, in a garden. People try to locate that garden. Some say it's on the Temple Mount. Some say it's in the depths of the human soul, the human heart. I think it's both and even more because that garden lies at the boundary of, well, space-time and eternity. Anyway, humanity was with God but didn't know God. Humanity didn't know God is the good and that love is life. Humanity was alone and didn't know it and that's not good. God said that it's, it's not good that Ha-Adam, the man, humanity, is alone. So God divided humanity in two. From Ha-Adam, he made male and female, creating the potential for some social distance as well as the potential for just the opposite. He had already planted a tree in the middle of the garden and issued a warning. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. That's more social distance as well as the potential for just the opposite. The liar said, make yourself in the image of God and surely you won't die if you do. They ate and now we do die. In fact, we choose to be alone, which is evil. Sin is choosing to be alone, whether you know it a lot or know it or not. It's choosing to be alone and to be entirely alone is death. Even if for a time you think that you're alive, you know, like a finger severed from a body and placed on a, on a table, it looks alive, but it's dead. It's socially distant. When we took knowledge of the good from the tree, and the good is love, <laughs> and love is life. Humanity then had been alone. God said it's not good that Ha-Adam, humanity, is alone and, and we didn't know that we were alone and now humanity, now humanity is alone and we do know it. 
even if we hide it in fig leaves and lies and self-justification, which is social distancing. Well, as we preached a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, God kicks humanity out of the garden, curses the earth, and with a flaming sword and and cherubim, he enforces some brutally painful social distancing. So people choose social distance. That's called sin. And then God enforces social distance. That's called judgment. The story continues. Humanity chooses nothing but evil and then God chooses Noah and creates more social distance with a flood. Still humanity chooses evil and God chooses Abraham and creates more social distance. He chooses Abraham and promises that through Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed, but then he creates social distance. From Abraham's descendants, God chooses Israel and creates more social distance and a bunch of rules for social distancing. I mean, read Leviticus 13 through 15 when you, when you get a chance. And you will think that it was written by the CDC. It's all about rules regarding quarantines, regulations, cleansing, and procedures uh, for infectious diseases, including leprosy. But not just leprosy, uh, cleansing from any human excretia even, including spit and poop and pus and blood. Theologians refer to these laws as the ritual laws or the ceremonial law, and they distinguish these from the moral law because they say you can't blame someone for something like leprosy the way you can blame someone for adultery. And, And yet the Bible never makes the same distinction as if leprosy is a disease of the body and sin is a disease of the will. So the point really isn't about blame, it's about fixing the disease if you can. And if you can't, it's about enforcing social distancing. Well, anyway, Israel cannot seem to stop sinning, so God chooses the tribe of Judah and uses Assyria to create more social distancing from the rest of Israel. Judah's even worse than Israel, so more social distancing, on and on, and God chooses the 12. The 12 really aren't any better, and God chooses the one. And that's where we pick up our story. That one hangs on a tree in a garden on the side of the Temple Mount just outside the city walls where the sin offering was destroyed. He has not only partied with tax collectors and sinners, touched corpses, he's touched lepers, women with discharges, and a bunch of dead bodies. He's dressed now in nothing but wounds, excrement, spit, and blood. He's descended into hell, and there is no greater social distance than that outer darkness where men weep and gnash their teeth. The great German theologian Oskar Kuhlmann argued that the history of time up until Christ looks something like this. This ever-narrowing group of people practicing social distancing. Now, I know it's hard to believe, but I actually made this drawing myself. You'll see that over on the left, it starts with Adam or humanity. So it's 
very broad, then it becomes the children of Adam or, or of, of Abraham and the nations, because God promised to bless the, the nations through the seed of Abraham, and then Israel, and then Judah, and then Jerusalem, and then the 12, and then the one. The only good Adam that ever lived, the, the good now dead and hanging on this tree. Well, if God is love, three persons, one substance, with absolutely no social distancing, if God is love, how do we explain all this social distancing? Hebrews chapter 12 explains that, well, all of this is somehow discipline in which, quote, all have participated. That means people suffer, it implies at least that people suffer not because of one particular sin, but because we all need to grow up, grow up into something bigger and better than what we know now. When my son Coleman was little, he spent a lot of time on our green couch. That's the green couch that you can see there in the background. If Coleman wasn't playing nice with his brother and sisters, if he was sinning against his siblings, if he was choosing social distance, and all sin is choosing social distance, and we've all chosen it, well, Coleman's punishment for choosing social distance was social distance. It was the green couch of social distance. That's where he was grounded, the green couch of social distance. In the Old Testament, God tells his people not to worship other gods, or he will give them up to worshiping these other gods in exile. But from that place of exile, that great distance, he says, you will again begin to desire me, seek me, in Romans 1, Paul summarizes all God's judgments as God giving us all up to our own idolatrous and horrifying desires. And we all, in some way, desire social distance. In 1 Corinthians, he even tells the church to give a man up to Satan for, quote, the destruction of the flesh so that, quote, his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. You see, that's discipline. Maybe this whole world and even hell is the discipline of suffering social distance for the crime of choosing social distance. I think probably the most painful social distancing that I have ever experienced was my freshman year of college. Susan and I had been dating for two years. I was absolutely enamored with her, but I don't think I loved her very well. I viewed her as a trophy. A commodity, a slave, a servant, something to be consumed like a, like a piece of fruit hanging on a tree. But in her absence, my heart broke. We were separated by a nine-hour drive and the continental divide. One night, as a, as a young believer, she just broke down in her dorm room crying out to God, God, why, why do we have to be separated like this? She opened her Bible, just Put her finger down and it fell on this verse. Perhaps he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. Those are the words of St. Paul sent to Philemon about his runaway slave Onesimus. 
Verse 15 and 16. Perhaps he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, but no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. So do you ever treat God like a slave? Like your servant? Do you ever treat the people around you as if they were like a a commodity? We see that's why we'd send Coleman to the green couch. Not so that he would stay there forever, but so that he'd get everything back forever and get it back in a new way. You know, I'd actually spend a lot of time on the green couch with Coleman. He'd tell me about his wounds. Daddy Elizabeth called me a butthead. He'd tell me about his wounds and I'd tell him about mine. We would experience social distancing together. (laughs) Just Coleman and I. Anyway, that's where we pick up our story. God the Father was in Christ Jesus hanging on a tree in a garden, according to the Gospel of John. It was in a garden. Curses the man that hangs on a tree, and now this man is dead. This man is entirely unclean. A corpse on a tree just outside the city walls, covered in nothing but spit and excrement and blood. From his side, water and blood, they pour out like from a fountain, covering a pagan who just thrust a spear in his side, covering a pagan, baptizing a pagan who is now dropped to his knees in worship. (laughs) The disciples flee in an effort to save themselves save their lives and yet by saving their lives they've descended deeper into death verse 19 on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came and stood among them and said to them peace be with you When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. When they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. No mask. I'm sure there were droplets. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those, happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. I've discovered that a lot of folks, maybe all folks, find this picture somewhat disturbing. (laughs) I know that because we put it on the cover of the last book I wrote. I think they find it disturbing on several different levels, but on each level it's disturbing because it's far too intimate. (laughs) You see, there is a profound lack of social distancing in this picture. But now, in in this picture, Jesus is no longer being infected with evil. On the cross, Jesus absorbed all of our evil. He became sin for us, but now Jesus is no longer being infected with evil. Jesus is doing the infecting. He's infecting humanity with the knowledge of good. Jesus is literally infecting his bride with life. Jesus is the end of sin, death, hell, and all social distancing. Jesus is the the manifest judgment of God. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Oscar Kuhlman drew this picture of an ever-decreasing group of people practicing social distancing at the direction of God until the group, uh, until that, that group narrows to a point, Jesus Christ and him crucified is the point. He is the point and the center of history for from this point, Coleman would then, or Kuhlman would then draw this picture of an ever increasing group of people practicing what? Not social distancing, but a social communion which is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And check this out, Colossians. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead. So from this room that had been a tomb but is actually a womb, these 11 disciples and the apostle Paul emerge and take the gospel to Jerusalem and then Judea, which is Judah, and then Samaria, which is Israel, and then to the nations promised to Abraham until in the revelation we hear every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is within them praising God and the lamb on the throne. They are the living temple, the bride and the body of Christ who is the last Adam, the eschatos Adam. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ, the last Adam, the eschatos Adam, will all be made alive, writes Paul. You see, Jesus recapitulates Adam to use the terminology of Irenaeus in the second century, but recapitulate is uh, the the Latin. It means that, that that, that, that that he puts Adam back together again. Jesus recapitulates Adam. He puts Adam back together again for Adam. Humanity had been like blown apart at a tree in a garden. Recapitulate from the Latin of the Greek word normally translated unite in Ephesians 1.10. Listen, the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. Anakephalio, to bring together, it literally means to bring together under one wounded head to unite. 
the plan for the fullness of time to unite, but unite in a new way, you see, with a new knowledge and thus a new will, a desire to choose the good in freedom. In other words, to love, and love binds everything together. At the cross, Jesus reverses the flow, the trajectory of history. He has us touch his wounds They are wounds that we caused. (laughs) And he says, forgive. Where we took his life, he now gives his life. He forgives his life. On the tree, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Them is us, all of us. He died for the sins of the whole world and we do not know what we do and we did not know what we we did. We did not know good and evil, but now we know. Forgiveness is good and unforgiveness is evil. In a body, Unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. Each member of a body constantly receives life because it constantly bleeds life into the next member of the body. The life, the spirit, the breath is in the blood. Jesus says, if you forgive, they are forgiven because you see, he's already forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. That's how a body part dies, a blood clot. Jesus has already commanded his disciples to forgive and told them that if they don't forgive, they aren't like forgiven. You see, forgiveness is a river of life, eternal life, destined to flow through all of Ha'adam, the Adam, that is humanity, the bride and body of Christ. So forgiveness is the unforgivable sin, for until you forgive, you can't live. Unforgiveness will not be forgiven for eternal life is the judgment of God. You have to forgive, and you will. Life is not the survival of the fittest. Life is the sacrifice of the fittest. That's forgiveness, and it's eternal. So the disciples touched the wounds on his body, and that body is their body. Just three nights before, Jesus broke bread and said, this is my body given to you. In Ephesians, Paul tells us there is one body, one body. Maybe wounds on anybody are actually wounds on your body, the one body, Christ's body. So God tells you to weep with those who weep in order that you might rejoice with those who rejoice, which is every creature in heaven and earth and on the earth and in the sea, united, unified under one wounded head, Jesus the, the Christ. Pain unifies a body, right? When one member feels pain, all the others jump to attention. Pain unifies a body, but joy is a body unified. Pain is temporal. Joy is eternal. It's more than a bit horrifying to me 
that since like about Tertullian, some, some have argued that heaven is a place where we actually rejoice that some suffer eternally in a place we call hell. I think they get that from the last verses of Isaiah in Isaiah 66 where people look out on bodies burning with unquenchable fire. But if they took the Bible seriously, they'd read that the bodies are corpses. And the, the unquenchable fire is, is love. And the people that look on those old bodies are now one new body. They are the new Jerusalem. They are, quote, all flesh, Isaiah says, bound, bound together as one body, the bride and body of Christ. All members rejoicing at the sight of their old lonely selves being consumed by the fiery love of God. St. Paul wrote, it is sown a natural body. In Greek, a psychikos body, a soulish body. It is raised a spiritual body, a pneumaticos body. Understand, that was the body that walked through the walls into that closed room. That body was more real than the walls. Jesus said over and over again, whoever loses his psyche for my sake will find it. Those people in Isaiah 66 are rejoicing in one new body for they've lost their lonely old vessels of wrath and found them in the body of relentless love. They are now vessels of mercy through which flows a river of eternal life. They've lost their old selves and yet it is their selves that now they've found and everything is new. They've lost their psyches, their psyches. That includes everyone that they've known and loved. And they've found their psyches. That includes everyone that they've known and loved and the psyches of those people and all the people that they have known and loved. I mean, it's no wonder that God is all about saving groups of people. Have you ever noticed that? Scripture is all about saving groups of people because Bill Gates and the, and the kids stalking bananas are one people, one body. Your psyche includes everyone that you know and I'm definitely not saved if my kids aren't saved. I am my kids. They're my psyche. As Abraham Lincoln once said, everyone is in heaven or no one. It's horrifying to me that the institutional church has actually taught the world that the end is an eternal social distancing called hell. When the end is an eternal communion of life, which is the body of Christ, Scripture says it. Jesus, he said, I am the beginning and the end. Jesus is the end, and he has one body, and there is no other. So anyway, Jesus enters that room where they're hiding, shows them his body, has them touch his wounds and says as the father sent me so send I you then he breathes on them saying receive the Holy Spirit the spirit of love and you see love is a decision a free decision to lose your psyche and find it in another. Love is a decision to give life rather than simply take life. Love is a decision to bleed for your neighbor. 
When one person loves in a world that doesn't love, it looks like a man bleeding on a tree. When two people love in a world that doesn't love, it looks like two persons that have become one flesh in a covenant of love bearing life called marriage. When everyone loves, it looks like one body because it is one body fully alive and outrageously happy for each member lives a life bigger and better than just their own. Pain unifies a body, but joy is a body unified. My psychic cost body, my natural body, it only feels its own pain, but in the body of Christ there will be no pain and I will share in everyone's pleasure. That's ecstasy from ekstasis in in Greek, to stand outside oneself, to lose the self and find the self in love. John 20, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side then, or because because of that, Aun, they were glad, exceedingly joyful, when he showed them his side. He showed them the wound from which they were created. They are the bride of Christ, the bride of the eschatos, Adam, created from his wounded side. He showed them the wound from which they were created and the wounds with which they are now reunited to their bridegroom in ecstasy. You cannot seize ecstasy. Ecstasy is not something you can control. You must surrender to experience ecstasy. You can't seize ecstasy, you can only surrender to ecstasy. I think it's what God was picturing when he took the Adam and made him male and female. When male and female are young, they don't understand that wound. But when they grow, they can be joined at that wound. And it isn't death. It's the death of death. It's life and even ecstasy. That's Coleman and his new bride, Natalie, on the green couch. (laughs) When he got married, he asked us if he could have the green couch. It's no longer the couch of social distancing, but the couch of social non-distancing, possibly even new life, like a a grandbaby. I don't know. And no pressure. And don't freak out, because you see, that's still only a reference. Whenever and wherever you sacrifice yourself for the love of another, it's life, eternal life. Just before Coleman got married, he came into my office one day, and this wasn't normal for Coleman, and he interrupted me and said, Dad, I just want to thank you for teaching me to love. See, he was thanking me for the green couch. Why did I make Coleman sit on the green couch? So that he'd choose to be forever alone? No! Just the opposite. I wanted him to hate the thought of being forever alone. And I would go sit on the couch with Coleman in order to give him a new thought. Hey, Coleman, maybe it's good to love your sister, even if it hurts. And why did he thank me for the green couch? Because on the green couch, he had a surprising realization. Love is life. So we've had some surprising realizations. 
And the cross is the realization that the sacrifice of love is eternal life, a tree of life. So we are all to blame and all forgiven. We're all individual, and yet we are one body, risen, rising from the dead. We will all die that all might live. We will all love. The sacrifice of love is not death, but the death of death and the door to eternal life. Love, losing, losing yourself for love is finding yourself in love. So love is life. Love is the end. Love is saving us all. God is love, and the word of love will not fail. He will accomplish that for which he was sent. Ha, dam, humanity in the image and likeness of God. And so you see, the coronavirus isn't actually our real enemy. Our real enemy is a lie spoken into the body of Ha'adam, humanity. You understand, we've been social distancing since the dawn of time. And you've been social distancing since the age of two or three, ever since you began to take the knowledge of good and evil in order to justify yourself and create an ego in which you hide. The lie is that you must save your ego, your psyche, yourself, and the surprising realization is that you must lose yourself in order to find yourself in the body of God. God saves. In a word, Jesus Life is not the survival of the fittest. I mean, that explains some things, but it doesn't explain life. Life is not the survival of the fittest. That's a lie. Life is the sacrifice of the fittest. That is the surprising realization. The end is not eternal social distancing. That's a lie. The end is an eternal communion of all creation. That's the surprising realization. Most people actually right now aren't alive. Uh, they aren't alive and afraid to die. Most people are dead and afraid to live. That's a very surprising realization. And now don't be an idiot. Don't think I'm saying that you shouldn't practice physical distancing, physical distancing for a time. I'm saying that your sin, fear, anxiety, shame, and ego are all ways in which you've been practicing social distancing since you took the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and began to hide. You see, those things are all ways in which you distance yourself from God and your neighbor and with which you make yourself your own deepest prison. So you see, maybe the coronavirus is a little bit like the green couch. And your father is using it to help you have a surprising realization. Jesus is that surprising realization. He is the word of the father with you, Emmanuel, on the green couch. Jesus said, blessed, happy are those who haven't seen and yet believe. Believe what? Well, that the word of love is life, and he's risen from the dead. I'm convinced that Jesus rose bodily 2,000 years ago and showed his wounds to his terrified disciples in a locked room, and it was a surprising realization. But I also believe that Jesus rises bodily and shows his wounds to you in the lonely room that is your soul whenever and wherever you have this Surprising realization. 
Love is life. Love is the end. Love is saving us all. God is love. So, why don't you show him your wounds? And then let him show you his. Just um, pray with me. But you come up with the words. Just tell him. Where have you been hurt by love? Show him. Where have you hurt love? Where have you taken the life of love? He is love. Show him your wounds. And now, let him show you his wounds. He took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And you see, from that body flows a fountain, a fountain of of life, living water, and the life that's in the blood. He took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins, drink of it, all of you. A communion of love is life. And the end of all social distancing This is, this is a surprising realization. So now, take this surprising realization and place it in the room that you thought was a tomb, but turns out to be a womb. <laughs> Your soul.
Amen. So anyway, people always want to know, what do I do now? Well, you keep singing. Just keep singing. Uh, years ago, and God has said this to me in a variety of kind of surprising ways, I felt like God was saying to me, Peter, I just want you to sing my song to me, regardless of whether or not anybody is listening. A couple of weeks ago, a friend, Paul Gray, he sent me this note, and he said, Peter, you need to watch this podcast that I did. In it, he interviews this guy. He said, I'm interviewing this guy that has this ministry with lepers in Indonesia and uh, prisoners in the Philippines and outcasts all over the world. He, he said something about it had to do with me, but I thought, yeah, like, uh, whatever. In fact, I thought, this guy sounds like, this guy sounds like he's really making a difference. But what do I do? And I don't know if anybody's even listening. So anyway, I listened to this guy, Brian Longridge, talk about how he had an encounter with God, and God asked him to sing his songs to him, regardless of whether or not anybody was listening. But through a variety of circumstances, he also ended up singing to some lepers in Indonesia. This is him hugging a leper. He goes there and he touches their wounds. He and his wife go into these prisons in the Philippines and sing to prisoners suffering enforced social distancing. He talked about how the Spirit would fall when they would be singing and fill these people in these lonely rooms with, with joy. And then Paul Gray asked him, where, where did you get this theology that would tell you to sing for people like that. And he said my name. And it hit me like a board to my head. And I'm telling you, because when he said my name, he was also saying your name, Steve and Matt and Tracy and Kimberly and Nate and Rachel and Ben and Glenn and Zach and Vince and Francis and Karina, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody who makes up the sanctuary, because you see, we're all singing this song together as a, a, a body, a body that sings this, this song. And, and this is my point. The entire world is locked down in fear. On Easter. But when you sing of the love of God, the Spirit of God destroys the work of the devil and sets the captives free. And you see, we all sing in different ways. But right now, the world needs to hear you sing. Love is life. Love is the end. Love is saving us all. God is love, and the word of love will not fail. So believe the gospel. Amen.